Mornings are better with a warm beverage, even for Latter-day Saints. Meet Postum, the ideal coffee alternative and proud sponsor of This Week in Mormons podcast. Spotted on the coffee aisle at Smith's Grocery or at your local nearby store. Can't locate it? No worries. Order it at postum.com. Explore delicious recipes to tailor your Postum experience. Start your day off right with Postum. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Mormons. We have a special guest with us for our interview this week. Is it His me? Name, is it me? It is not you, Melissa. It's You're not here me. with it's me all the time. It's a new special guest. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, Josh, why don't you introduce yourself? We have Josh Randall. Um, I'm going to introduce you as somebody who is running for the U.S. Senate for the state of Utah as a Republican. Is that right? That's that's correct. And uh, I guess you could introduce me as a father of six kids that are under the age of 10 uh, or the first counselor in my Sunday school presidency. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny. We went to a uh, to an event in Emory County about three months ago or four months ago when we filed with the FEC. And it was the first time this is the first time I've run for office. Uh huh. And I've, you know, I've tried to be a delegate. I've been a delegate before. I've done minor, I made some minor incursions into the political world. But I, as I went to this event in Emory County, I kind of started off with a joke that my wife and I have thought about running for office. We, right now, have, we've seen that uh, I don't have a very busy calling in our ward. So we figured. <laughs> So, so we Now's figured we just we run for U.S. Senate. You know, Josh, I'm glad that you said that because I don't want to be the one to say it, but first counselor in the Sunday school presidency used to be known as the bell ringer. We don't even really ring bells anymore. That's right. I also want to tell you, though, as a slight warning, that was the last calling my husband had was first counselor in the Sunday school presidency. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was the sweetest gig of his whole life. But he made the mistake of letting everybody know it was the sweetest gig of his whole life. And shortly thereafter, we got called to a YSA bishopric. So I'm just oh. saying, like, if you love the calling, you might want to keep it on the down low how sweet it is. That's all I'm I, saying. Thought, I thought you were going to end that story with, and now he's a U.S. senator for the and state now of Utah. He's a U.S. senator for the state of Utah. <laughs> You're right. That would have been a better ending. Hey, Josh, so tell Josh, us about the six kids. That's a wow. How are you doing that? Well, I've got a wife who's a superhero, as you can imagine. Yeah, but and a uh, hottie. I told her that earlier. She's a hottie. <laughs> I I agree. I agree with you absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, we have an interesting past. We uh, we both came from big families and wanted to have big families. We uh-huh. got a late we got a late start. So people sometimes think we're crazy, but we were already. I was thirty one. She was twenty six. We were pretty well established. Um, uh-huh. I, had done a master's degree in accounting and was a CPA working in oil and gas accounting. And uh, my wife was a sign language interpreter. She's nationally certified. She's really good at it. If you actually watch some of the debates that have happened in the last couple of years, like Mike Lee, when he was debating Evan McMullen, Uh you'll see see my wife, Brianna, down in the corner doing the, the ASL interpreting for those debates. I think she actually did at least one or two of theirs, um, Evan McMullen mu- and Mike Lee. That must have been quite a workout because they were going back and forth quite a lot. <laughs> and they had a lot to say in those debates. Yeah. And I think for her, there's, you know, 
she obviously has her own political views and she has a husband who has yeah. uh, obviously his own political views. And so when she goes to do those, it's kind of, she's supposed to be neutral and you'll, right. you'll watch the facial expressions that she puts into it. She kind of <laughs> has to be careful to say, <laughs> I'm not going to misinterpret and send the message that I like one more than the other. I'm just here to interpret what they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that so would be how sad. did you guys meet then with those two different paths? Well, I mean, and I've said this on the campaign trail, actually. I, I was one who, at age 21, I believed in trying to I – was, I was actively pursuing finding somebody. you know, Because your I, mission president told you to? Well, I think he encouraged it for sure. Yeah, that's but, a standard uh, story, right? Yeah, I think – but my stake president, too, when I got back, I think he said something to the effect of, you need to be going on regular dates. And mm-hmm. he might have challenged us to do one a week. I probably did that for 10 years. Wow. Um, I would say that I probably went on 500 dates. Oh, with wow. 350 different people. Oh, wow. Which is wow. kind of a weird story in a lot of ways. But well, or you have 350 potential people voting for you. <laughs> I guess <laughs> that could it'd be, the, that's enough. That's all I need. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't imagine some of them would, but uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, so so real quick, Josh. So so were you at BYU? Were you at a church school, or were you at uh, a non-church school when you were doing all this dating? Well, I was. Uh, I went to Utah State, and that's where nice. I was doing some of it. And then I went to Weber State for a bachelor or for a master's degree. So I did a bachelor's and a master's, both in accounting, at Utah State and Weber State. Brianna went to BYU. She has a an associate's degree in sign language interpreting, and she also has a a bachelor's degree in family and human development. And uh, so we didn't cross paths during our college years. We hmm. and at about age twenty six or seven, I took a job with Conoco Phillips out in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Oh, I know and, where that is. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that would make not very many people who do, but uh, <laughs> at least in that's, Utah, that spent a lot of time in the Midwest. That makes yeah. two of us in Utah that know that area, but uh, <laughs> but I actually really liked Bartlesville. It was a great experience there, and Conoco Phillips uh, was a good place to work. Um, I didn't have a, a a super long stay there, but um, you know I ended up working with the ONRR after about a year, thirteen or fourteen months at Conoco Phillips. I jumped around a little bit. I don't know if you know much about oil and gas, but it's a pretty volatile industry when the price commodity prices go down. You might find it administrative type employees being laid off. So I've been a part of some layoffs over the years and it's, uh, it's caused a little bit of jumping around, but I spent some time in Farmington, New Mexico. I've been in Oklahoma Wow! and I was actually in Farmington, New Mexico, working for the office of natural resources revenue. When Brianna and I met, we, uh, we courted from six and a half hours away. She was living in Orem, Utah at the time, working after her bachelor's degree and I'm kind of ashamed almost to say this, but I got her number off LDSsingles.com. Okay. <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> yeah, I know it's funny. I, I told my I told some people in my family, I said, you know, she didn't respond. I just wrote her something. I wasn't one to do internet dating. I was right. one mm-hmm. to say, I read her profile, I looked at her pictures, and I said, I think I could marry her. 
if she would write me back. <laughs> so <laughs> she wrote back and said something like, Hey, I think I'm kind of dating somebody and, and I'm not really interested. My profile is still up, but, um, now's probably not a good time. About a week later, <laughs> I tried back. <laughs> good for you. And I good said it again. You. And I said, Hey, is, is uh, have you, you cut that dating? off yet? <laughs> have you cut that off with the other guy yet? And she said, I think she kind of thought it was humorous and said, well, if you want to try to give me a call, then here's my number. I guess I could take you, you could take me out on a date or something, but I'm still kind of thinking I might date this other guy. And I said, well, that's okay. If you give me, give me some time and then I'll see if I can't convince you. <laughs> and I did take time. I, I took her to, uh, I took her to Lagoon. I think we went to Rumby Island oh. Grill afterwards. The only time in my life my f- a first date went for over 10 hours. I mean, this <laughs> was like I had driven up from Farmington, New Mexico, and I knew I wanted to to try and make something happen out of it. So um, I took the, as much time as I could get with her, and it was an interesting story. The next day, I tried to take her to lunch before I went back to Farmington the next morning, and she didn't respond, and I just it was it was a major bummer. But yeah. apparently, apparently, this girl her, is hard to get. She was, yeah. Um, apparently, her phone had problems, and uh, she didn't get my messages. I think I called and texted her, and uh, and she texted later and called me back that night and said, "Hey, I'm sorry, I would have gone to lunch with you again, but I didn't, oh. I didn't know." But anyway, but that was the start of it. And then I wow. said, okay, I actually had a date with somebody else set up. As you know, I mean, I was going on dates every right, week. Right, right, right. You, you were and, working the program. And after she responded, though, with this, uh, after the first date, I wasn't sure if she was going to get back with me, but she did respond. And I canceled the other ones. And <laughs> I said, you know, I've been on one date with this girl. I'd like to see what we can make happen after. You know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but uh, maybe no, it sounds very classic LDS romance. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and well, it so was. I have, a, I have a question about that, Josh. Like that is a lot of dating, having it not turn into marriage. And I, I, I pursued my wife. I would say for maybe six or seven months. And I, I was just like torn up inside. I was like, I can't do this. Like this dating game is awful. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, how did you deal with the rejection? And like, what made you say, I'm going to stick with this, even though it just seemed to take forever? You know, I tell you, I mean, it's kind of a personal question in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, I was the type of person who I leaned a lot on family. I, I was I was constantly trying to fill my life with other good things as well. Mm-hmm. And and the girls that I took out, I always tried to take out people who who had the same values, who could be a good fit, even if I didn't feel like they would be uh, necessarily somebody I thought that I would want to marry. They were the type. And so yeah. I mm-hmm. tried to take out the type that I wanted to marry, even if I didn't feel like there was a chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I guess I kind of figured that if I kept taking out the right type, the hope that I had was sooner or later, I would find one that I was really interested in that also was interested in me. And uh, miracle of miracles, I guess. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's good advice. Like I mentioned, we serve in a young single adult ward and, um, and it is, it is really difficult to, um, well, for some of them 
to stay in the church when they're not having success with the thing that the church places so much importance on, which is family, right? Like that's, that's our whole goal really is to, to create families and return to God together. And it's really hard to keep, um, to keep pursuing the church when you feel like kind of hopeless in that manner. I've seen that with a lot of them, but I, I think the advice you give is good is to, to keep family close and then to just, to just kind of keep pursuing those things that are important. Like, um, I, I think that's good advice and, and I, but I do think it shows a lot of persistence because I don't think that's as easy as you make it sound like, yeah. I think that's a long time to, to do that hard thing. So I think that's impressive. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know. I mean, um, I would say, I mean, if I was giving advice to anybody else in those shoes that, uh, keep the church in the loop as well. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, there was a lot of good bishops along that path in Oklahoma, in Farmington, New Mexico, and and in Utah, in different areas of Utah. And I'll tell you, it's uh, it's your ward family, it's your your direct family, your siblings, your parents. Keep them all in the loop. I I say, and it's uh, um, I hope that people don't have the idea that you know pushing the church aside or pushing family members aside. I think that uh, kind of compounds the problem, or at mm-hmm. least it, w- it would have for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and yeah. So, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, Josh, because I'm a political scientist, and I I do a little bit of research about political ambition. And so, just yeah. to preface this, like it's pretty consistent that 85 percent of Americans have no interest in running for public office, <laughs> and there's about. that say, yeah, maybe I would if everything worked out just right. And there's only like 1% that actually run for office. And so Mm -hmm. in that way, Josh, you're a little bit unusual from the rest of the, of Americans. So I got to know, like, why in the world are you doing this? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy. I, I I hear (laughs) you. I mean, my dad has asked, asked the same thing. I, um, he looked at me and said, you know, Josh, I'm not even sure if you'd have my vote if you oh. ran. <laughs> and, uh, maybe that's a confession I shouldn't make. No, no, but, no. Uh, Family's the hardest to win over. They're always the hardest. <laughs> well, I, I think he looks now. at it. He looks at it and says, you know, if you're somebody who's going to stick through with it and you have a chance of being competitive, I mean, but I, I think he likes my platform. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks at this as a are you serious? Are you really running for U.S. Senate? I mean, <laughs> who does that, son? Yeah. But, um, no, I think he's on board now. And uh, my mom's been more so on board probably in the beginning, but they're they're both on board at this point. And, uh, and your wife's it, your campaign manager, yes? My wife is my campaign manager. And that's a big part of why I would do this. I, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, if, uh, if it wasn't for her personality with this and her skills that she has, we are kind of an open couple. I mean, I guess you maybe glean a little bit of that with us sharing our past and, and yeah. kind of where we're coming from. But she's very well built for this. I mean, she was a return missionary. She went to the Washington, D.C. mission, Spanish speaking. I mm. thought it was funny. On our honeymoon, we went to, we were in San Diego. We went to a church ward there that was a deaf ward. And the oh. speaker, the speaker was speaking Spanish. Which was, it was interesting. So the person up there interpreting was like, oh no, I don't speak Spanish. And my wife was sitting in the side with me and she's like, she got her attention. I got you. So she was taking the the Spanish speaker 
and putting in the sign language for the sign language interpreter to send it to the audience from her wow. seat. Wow. It was really wow. interesting. But that's her yeah. personality. She is really, um, she's ambitious. She's very missionary minded. She's very, in a lot of ways, I feel like this is like a mission. I mean, uh-huh. and to be honest with you, I mean, our outlook is, I love what my mission president said to me. He gave some advice probably just two or three years ago. We had him over for dinner, maybe a year ago. And he said, Josh, whatever you do in your marriage, here's some marriage advice and life advice. Do it the Lord's way. And that's really the approach that we try and take with what we're doing as a, as a Senate candidate, is to try and do it the Lord's way. Um, and that way, for me, feels a lot like being a missionary in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. and so in that sense, I've really enjoyed a lot of the interactions. It's not fun when you run into people who disagree with you on spending issues and social issues. It's not always fun to have those discussions, but we, uh, you know, I guess my motivation for getting in the race, one is that I have a wife who was totally on board with it. I would never have done it if she wasn't. Never, Mm -hmm. never would have done it. But two is that, you know, as a CPA, father of six little kids and somebody who's, I guess we talk a lot about faith, family, and fiscal discipline as being our platform. I'm one who believes that we need a certain type of experience and a certain type of voice that's a little bit different. I I speak different than a lot of the other candidates. This is our first time running for office, and I think we could use that. I did, If I didn't feel like we could help the cause, then I wouldn't be in the race, obviously, and I guess every other candidate would probably say the same thing, but... Um, we don't know that we're going to be getting more than 2% of the vote. I mean, 2% is what the Deseret News showed oh. in the last poll that they ran. I mean, Well, that's way more than the former girls you dated. Melissa was way <laughs> off on those numbers. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, Josh, well, I, I do have something to say about that, okay? And I know yeah. I don't know if you can control this. But when I searched, just my basic search, Josh Randall, U.S. Senate, the first thing that popped up was John Curtis for U.S. Senate. He can't control no. that. John you can't Curtis control that. There's no. something in the analytics that's not helping you. That's, that's one mm. thing I want to say. That's called that. advertising dollars. Well, yeah. It could be web search optimization that he's, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I would say that, uh, you know, Brad Wilson has paid about $1.5 as of December 31st. Oh, John Curtis, I, I think, oh, has man. paid hundreds of thousands. I mean, We've paid $300 for a website and <laughs> a $30 filing fee to, to build a not-for-profit. And then we've wow. spent $1,350 for the state of Utah filing fee. Wow. And yeah. that's pretty much it. Josh, I'll say when I talk to my, my children, so my kids are young adults. They're all new voters, three of them between the ages of 18 and 25. So they're all brand new voters, but they're very interested in politics, which I think is common for their generation. Um, But whenever I talk to them, this is one of their biggest complaints is that you have to have a lot of money in order to win an election. And, you know, I think their generation gets really frustrated with the fact that, you know, a normal, ordinary person can't really have much success, that you have to be a self-made, you know, millionaire in order to actually get any traction. I, I, I think that's a problem. Well, I do think that the system has kind of made it feel, it kind of seems to favor 
people who are professional fundraisers or people mm-hmm. who are kind of no remorse salesmen. I mean, it's an interesting, uh, the way the system runs right now, it's kind of a who can get their name out through the most mediums and some of those mediums are expensive. Yeah. And uh, I'm one who probably would advocate for capping the amount that we spend on elections. Each candidate maybe spends $200,000 in a Senate race and maybe 100000 in a House race. I think that would really yeah. change the dynamic to have something like that in place. But, you know, they're right, right now in Utah, there's a movement to try and kind of get rid of a – there's a signature path and a convention path if you're yeah. running for one of the parties. Uh, the Republican convention path essentially will take – 4,100 delegates from the whole state who are coming from precincts. You're probably familiar with, maybe you're Mm -hmm. not familiar with this, but uh, they're almost like your ward boundaries, so so to speak, but your neighborhoods. And, you know, I do still have some hope in that system. Right now, I mean, we've talked to hundreds and Brianna has texted thousands. In fact, she's probably almost texted every one of them one at a time, which is (laughs) ironic. She's amazing. She is an amazing campaign manager. But uh, she really reaches out to him, and we feel very optimistic that the people in this race right now being favored by the delegates are actually not the ones that are spending the most. They're they're a little bit lower down, and most of that. I mean, a lot of that has to do with um, the type of people, I guess, maybe that become delegates. They're mm-hmm. pretty p- politically active, and if they're doing the Republican primary. They're pretty into the Republican ideals, mm-hmm. um, I- ideals like a smaller government and the proper role of government being kind of what's spelled out in the Constitution. I, I, I think we kind of have a divide amongst the Democrats and Republicans. One maybe feels a little more inclined to have social programs by the gov- federal government and mm-hmm. the other is more inclined to say, hey, smaller government and encourage more by not-for-profits and churches. But um, So I think that Amongst the delegates, that specific portion of Republicans, you know, I, I think that in this specific race, a lot of them like Trent Staggs, a lot of them like Carolyn Fippen, and we feel like a lot of them like us as well, like mm-hmm. what we're, we're saying. And, you know, that's if I was to put it in a broader scale, you would find a lot more of your Mike Lee <laughs> Republicans. I don't know if that's a good thing to say or a bad thing to say on this, but... Well, everybody knows um, who that is, right? It's a good way to describe them. Yeah. So there's a lot of Mike Lee Republicans amongst the delegates. Okay. Yeah. A few more Mitt Romney ones you'd find here in Salt Lake County or Davis County. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, through the convention process, I still think there's a very realistic path to get on the ballot. Now, getting on the ballot is one thing, but there are going to be signature gatherers that are going to be competing on June 25th for the actual uh, Republican primary. But I I think this year, you know, unique to what happened in 2018 with Mitt Romney and a guy named Mike Kennedy who won a convention, we don't really have a national name like Mitt Romney on the ticket. Right. Who Mm -hmm. who has been the former nominee for president for the Republican Party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know... Be that along with the fact that there's going to be three or four of them who are a little bit more moderate or a little more, uh, a little less conservative probably than some of the other candidates who might win in convention. I think that there is an, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, there's just yeah. enough window 
that the person at convention, I think, has a real good, a really good shot of winning this year. And I hmm. know that the Republican Party is very much committed to backing the convention winner as well. Well, that's good. That's good. And so once you have the party support as well, it's a... It really, really helps. It's a good... It's, there's a good probability that the convention winner will end up being the senator this year. So, now, Josh, I got I to gotta ask you this question because my feminist friends will kill me if I don't. Because <laughs> your wife, Brianna, feminist. sounds like an amazing Senate candidate. So I imagine at some point you're having a conversation around the table about which of us should run. Or maybe you never <laughs> had that conversation. We but have had I, that conversation. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, I, I've said that to her. I said, Brianna, I mean, how do you feel about this? I mean, it's like to go out and be in the spotlight and say, you don't get a whole lot of recognition. You don't get to, I mean, sometimes, you know, whatever fame and pomp and whatever type of recognition that somebody gets, uh, the spouse has to kind of bear a lot of the burden for it. And mm-hmm. I said, I, she has been, she's interesting. I don't know how I would do with it as well as she does. But um, I think that generally speaking, she's had the sentiment of, Josh, I would not want to do this. I, just, <laughs> oh. I would, I would, I wouldn't want to do it myself personally. Yeah. But uh-huh. she's been as supportive as a spouse could be, in my opinion. I don't think anybody could be more supportive of me doing it, which is ironic. So even yeah, though she, awesome. she's from what I could tell, and if she was in the room, I'd have her tell me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> I think that she would confirm that she, she doesn't want to be the one on the stage, and. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I don't know if that I'm really trying to seek being on the stage either. I, I would probably try and be a senator who is pushing issues very hard, but I also see it as a, this is a job I'd run, I'd do this for six to 12 years, and then I'd go home and go back to what I'm doing uh-huh. and, and try and do as much as I can in those six to 12 years to fix as many problems as I can help fix. Okay. So, so kind of, now, so I'm um, sorry, Matt. So no, go ahead. So Mitt Romney and Mike Lee are both known, not just in Utah, but across the United States as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? Like that is part of, part of what people see when they look at them. And I think, Josh, it's kind of interesting slash cool that the first thing in your platform, you said faith, family, and fiscal responsibility. I think it's interesting that you're putting faith out there. And um, like you said, you you feel like this is important in the way that a mission is. Um, does that feel Does that feel scary to say like faith is the first part of my platform, or or would it, tell me about that? Well, I mean, it might sound a little different than some of the other candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, I would tell you that the Hispanics, Republicans of Utah, they say faith and family in their logo. Um, we have a group of friends in the Tongan community here in Salt Lake that reached out to us and they have a very similar perspective of they, I think that really was a draw for them. They said, yeah. Hey, we want to have somebody who has those values as well. And, and they've been actually putting together flyers and uh, doing some work to try and help us with our campaign as well. You, you might see some of the stuff that they're doing down the road. I don't know, but um, for me, it's a, you know, I look at our, our state constitution and the constitutions <clears throat> excuse me, of every state in this country, as well as our, our federal Declaration of Independence and Constitution, every one of them makes alludes to God in one way or another. And I am convinced that this is a unique and integral part of our country that makes it different than the rest of the world. 
And Mm -hmm. that may not be popular with some people, but it is in our founding documents. I mean, as church members, if you read in Doctrine and Covenants 134, or if you read in um, different parts, I mean, we believe that there were men who were, and women who had been, you know, if you will, guided by the Spirit to do mm-hmm. certain things to help to help create a land that would have the the liberties and the the freedoms that the United States has. And I do believe in a divinely inspired constitution. And I guess that that is actually one of the top motivations I had for running as well is just the type of narrative that people have around faith and I, I have said before that I feel like the separation of church and state, which isn't a constitutional phrase, but it's kind of run wild in some ways. Right. And I've had a lot of people say to me things like, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had a marijuana initiative on the ballot here in Utah. And I think we actually had some in the church. We probably had the area presidency or the first presidency saying, hey, we'd urge you to, to oppose this measure. We don't think it's the right way for us to do things in Utah. And I had some friends who said, well, I'm not going to, I don't smoke pot. I don't smoke marijuana and I don't use it for my different, you know, medicinal or other purposes, but I'm not going to force my beliefs on other people. So I'm not going to vote against this bill because I believe in agency and I don't want to force my values, my religion, excuse me, on other people. And for me, that is a real misunderstanding. I consider that a misinterpretation of the separation of church and state. And one of the things that I say on the campaign trail is I would much rather see people from all the religions living their religions and voting according to the values of their religion than to see the kind of moral relativist secularism take over and become our state religion for the United States. Yeah. And there's, there seems to be a real push, you know, that uh, religious discussion doesn't have a place in the public sphere. And I'm not saying that we need to go and have, you know, that every policy that we make, we need to be invoking the name of deity as part of the policy. You know, I'm not saying that uh, we need to have a state religion. I'm not implying that, that obviously... You're, you're not saying that faith needs to be your faith. Yeah, and I'm not saying it needs to be my faith, mm-hmm. but I do think, you know, we have dozens of great religions, and I would far rather people, I would say this of to a Muslim, I would say this to a Christian person, I'd say this to a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Catholic, an LDS person, all of them, I would say, please don't shelf your faith when you go to the ballot box. Don't shelf your faith in the public sphere. I am one who believes that we kind of need miracles right now in D.C., and I've said I say this on the campaign trail a lot. I guess people watching here haven't heard me say it, but it's a popular phrase here in Utah that faith precedes miracles. And in some ways, I'm looking to go and perform miracles in D.C. And I, I believe in them. I mean, I'll, I talk about knocking on 99 doors when I need to to try and bring people to the other side, but there has to be some truth. There has to be some common ground, and there has to be people who can speak, who can turn the narrative into the right type of language to bring people over to the right side. It's a great thing to compromise, 
But if you're compromising to pass bad laws or if you're compromising on core values, then the compromise loses its value. And for me, yeah. there are things that I that I wouldn't compromise on. I, from a moral perspective, I can't vote for seven trillion of appropriations when we only have five trillion of revenue each year. That's a moral. That's a moral imperative that I feel to my children, or to say. I mean, we had one with the Respect for Marriage Act, that, you know, about eighteen months ago, and the church has made various statements on this act. And one of the things that Elder Oaks talked about of why the church supported the amendments in that act, I understand from an organizational standpoint, and I, and I think the church is very wise in the way that it approaches it. For me, as a senator, I still probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have voted for that. I can say, I, not probably, I wouldn't have voted for it still. I think there is a teaching function in the law, and somewhere in that codification of, of redefining marriage— after 6,000 years of our world's history, uh, to include the relationship of people of the same gender, I the narrative that I would change is, that doesn't mean that I don't love the LGBTQ community. I think it's the opposite. I think that what it means is, I am firmly committed to the idea that the best outcomes for the next generation are, to, are coming from homes where a mom and a dad, a mother and father, are staying together and they're both involved in the children's lives and committed to each other with total fidelity. And I think the social sciences and the history for 6,000 years in all societies have, have shown that this is a, a cornerstone building block foundation for a successful country is to have families that are strong. And so for me, that's, that's the discussion I would have around that point, that it has nothing really to do with a distaste or dislike for people at all. I, I have all kinds of sympathy for people who struggle with same-gender attraction, and I, I understand that it's... Uh, I've actually been to the Pride Center here in Salt Lake City. I've tried to kind of talk with them about how I can help them as a senator. And I've reached out to multiple people to get that type of input. But um, yeah, so, for so me, that's, actually... that's, that's a core value. That is a core value that for me is very important. I think families have got to be strong. They've got to be strong right now. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think that it's important for people to represent their values, right? So, but so, so some people would say, if you say they struggle with same-sex attraction, they would say, I'm not struggling with it. I embrace it. That's my life. That's who I am. That's how I want to live. And the challenge I think we often face in society is that there's one version of, of, of how society should be. And it often seems to be in direct opposition to another version of how society ought to be. And it seems like if one side wins, the other side loses. And I think that that's one of our biggest challenges as a country right now is like if you're elected senator for the state of Utah, you represent everybody in the state of Utah, not just the people right. who agree with your perspective. How do you how do you negotiate that to say I might disagree with your definition of marriage or life, but I have an obligation to represent you? How do you do that? Well, it's not easy. I mean, it's a pluralistic society that we live in, and to be honest, with 3.338 million people in Utah, I don't think you do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I don't think you do. 
I think that if you were to go around and ask people in the state, you'll find that many of them really have a distaste for Mike Lee or or his policies. Mm-hmm. If you were to do the same type of rounds and, and go to the same communities, you'll also find people who have a real distaste for Mitt Romney or his policies mm-hmm. as well. And so you're not going to please everybody. It doesn't seem like all the time, but you really have to to do the research. You have to do the work to say, well, and you have to do put in some prayer, frankly. But I, I think that uh, my commitment is to say, this is what I stand for. And this is what I'm convinced is going to help the country. And I can't ultimately, ultimately at the end of the day, if we have the majority of the population wants to vote for certain abortion laws or for gay rights type laws or, or for gay marriage type laws, if they want to vote for specific type of things that are, or if they want to decriminalize marijuana, I'm not into the decriminalized movement as well. I, I think that it's caused problems up in Oregon and California um, where they've decriminalized cocaine and heroin and marijuana and and even theft up to $900 has kind of become a mist- misdemeanor instead of a felony. Um, I You're don't sort of like in favor of laws, <laughs> enforcing laws. I'm sort of in favor of, of, of not having just complete lawlessness everywhere. Yes. Yeah, um, I'd, like, that, I'd like, like to see that on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what a lot of voters fear yeah. is that, you know, people get sent to Washington and um, and get pushed around, right? And then um, don't actually understand what it's like in Washington. And it sounds to me like you're you're very clear on who you are and what you stand for and that that's not going to be a problem for you, that you're open to having discussions, but that also you feel it as part of the mandate is if you elect me, this is what we're voting for and and that you're going to, you're not going to get pushed around. Yes. I, and most of the time I feel like I align with Utah, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. In general, with the majority of Utah, there I would confess there might be times where I would vote for things that, I mean, the Respect for Marriage Act, Mike Lee was one out of six who opposed that. I mean, that's, mm. he's 16% of our congressional delegation. And most of the people in Utah might not have been on board. I have respect for him for doing it. I think it was mm-hmm. the right vote. I think that uh, sometimes the senator, when he gets there, he will see things from a different viewpoint, kind of like a prophet does in the church. I don't realize all the reasons sometimes that the prophets do what they do, but I have faith and a knowledge that they do receive guidance for their for their stewardship. And I think as a senator or somebody in D.C. that's working there full time, you know, with the, the staff, you're going to get a perspective as well. Um and the, the most important thing for me is what is going to help defend our life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, our property? What is going to help build this country so that the people have a higher quality of life? So we have more peace, tranquility, and just a, a desirable country to live in where people prosper and they reach the American dream. Those are the things that I'm, that I'm shooting for. And if it's not the same as what my constituents believe in, then hopefully they've vetted me out before they ever vote for me in the first <laughs> place. But uh, I, I do think I do think that uh, the views that I have are pretty aligned with Utah in general, and 
I think our legislature is very aligned with me most of the time as well. There are exceptions there in, you know, individual members, but so it, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion because people will say, I mean, here's another confession. Like I look back at prohibition in the 1920s or thirties. I think prohibition is good law. That's Make alcohol be, illegal again, right? Yeah. I mean the, the selling, the, the, you know, the distribution of it, but I understand that this comes to a vote. And I understand yeah. that the people, but my work is to convince the people to ha- say, hey, we as a population, I have no question in my mind that we would be better off if we didn't drink or smoke. I mean, it takes 20% of our ICU capacity in our hospitals for drug and alcohol abuse on a perpetual basis. It's just a massive blow to our people's morale and to our economy and to our, our health care costs. Drugs and alcohol have been just an epidemic. I mean, and now it's kind of being compounded. We have some cartels that get paid to illegally human traffic people across the border, and they're bringing more of it. And I'll tell you, we have, we have people who aren't concerned about the welfare of our, of our country who are kind of pushing it in for their own purposes. And, uh, and so for me, you know, I think it's good law. I understand that that's probably not, you know, if I could pass it, if people were on board with it, you know, that'd be great. But it's it's a democracy and it's a pluralistic society. And I do understand that. But the problem with, for me, as I look at it, is not that prohibition was bad law. It's that we had a population who was no longer willing to vote for it, who was no lo- longer willing to enforce it, who was no longer willing to live by it. And yeah. Thus, I mean, any laws that we put on, you know, they're going to be inadequate for an immoral people based, you know, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. And I, I believe that. I mean, so that is a, I consider moral decay to be one of the, the greatest fights that we have right now in Congress is to say, hey, we are, we are fighting for the moral fabric of our country. Because if we don't, it doesn't matter what laws we pass, they're not going to be adequate for the people. Um, we have to, and I'm not one who thinks that the laws can go and compel us all to be moral people. But um, at the same time, I do want people to be clear. I can't, I have a very difficult time going to the ballot box and teaching something different than what I teach my children at the pulpit. And yeah. so I, I have a very hard time. Like, I know we lived in Colorado briefly, they have legalized marijuana. I wouldn't have voted for it. And I still would oppose that in any state that I live in and definitely in Utah. And I'm not really planning on moving from here in the near future, but I hope that never comes to that. But, um, for me, that is part of my makeup and part of where I wouldn't compromise. There's certain values that I say, Hey, I can't go, I can't go decriminalize things or change laws in ways that I consider both immoral and, and then, I also consider them to be provable, provably bad for our society in every other way. I mean, gambling is the same way, and it's different here in Utah. We're one of two states that doesn't have legalized gambling, and I believe in it. I think it makes us helps have a bigger middle class, and I kind of see it as cannibalistic and taking advantage of. It's kind of like a regressive taxation. A lot of the gambling uh, state-run lotteries are paid for by people who are already on, you know, have lower income. And so, 
Anyway, I'm kind of. I feel like I'm rambling on now. I know I am, <laughs> so I'm sorry. But hey, um, Josh, it was great to have you. I almost it, think is there is an issue that is there an yeah, issue that I didn't he hear about? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no. It does seem like you are very much aligning your faith with your campaign, and I, I think that's. Um, I think that's something that's uniquely that you're uniquely able to do because I think a lot of people hide from that or, or don't dare put that forward. But I, yeah, I can definitely see that like you are who you are and you, um, your faith is your faith and that you're not gonna, you're not gonna misalign anything with that to try and get votes or to try and, you know, pander to people. Like you, you really have a, you know, a cause and a purpose behind this. And I, I respect that. I think that's definitely something you've shown us today. Yeah. When I look in the scriptures of what we should look for in people to vote for, there's a couple of verses that say, when the wicked rule, people mourn. And so we should look for righteous, good, wise people to uphold. And so, you know, for me, when it comes to politics, I care much less about the policies and the particular stances on issues as I do about the person. I think it's really important to have good people. And, um, Josh, I think you're a good person. I mean, I'm not the <laughs> ultimate judge of character, and we've only spent a little bit of time together, but I really appreciate you taking some time to visit with us today. It's been great to get to know you better. Absolutely. Thank you guys for taking some time. I mean, I free, you know, we're a two-string budget campaign, so I mean, <laughs> we'll take any exposure we can get. And Yeah, uh, and it's nice to get to know you as a person, too. I just, I think it's always interesting to hear about people's backgrounds and, and where they come from and, and where it brings them. So that, that was really Great, Josh. Thank you. Well, thank hey, so you. So, if guys. our listeners, if our listeners want to reach out to you, Josh, and get to know more about you or help, what what could they do? How could they reach you? Electjoshrandall.com is our website, and Josh for Senate F O R Senate twenty twenty four at gmail.com. We are pretty good about responding pretty much to everybody who sends emails, and we get a fair amount. But we we really try and get back with everybody. We're we're pretty actively. We're pushing hard. We are awesome. campaigning hard. So it's <laughs> it's a part-time thing in many ways. I mean, we're not quitting our job and we're not uh, upturning all of our, I mean, I'm still coaching my kids' basketball team tomorrow morning. And uh, that is, you know, we might miss a little bit of the box elder meet and greet that they're having tomorrow in their county GOP. Hopefully we'll make it to whatever we can. Davis County has some tomorrow and Tooele County has some. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, faith and family, we're, we're trying to keep it in that order. And I, and I hope that every Senator who goes over there will keep those priorities too. I, if, if nothing else, I want to help maybe change the conversation for whoever becomes a Senator to not shelf their faith. Even if it's not me, I want them to go there and say, Hey, I want to be, I hope they will be prayerful. I hope there'll be somebody who is um, committing to do committed to doing what's right. Even if it means that he's not popular. I would rather have a senator do that. And so I hope whoever wins will have that goal to do what's right for the country, uh, even if it's not always popular. Well, thank you so much. We'll have that be the last word. Josh, thanks for joining us. Listener, thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you guys.